You know, one of the things that uh, will not uh, take place in heaven are political campaigns and elections. Thank you. <laughs> uh, there will, uh, to, my, to my knowledge, and as I read the Scripture, there just won't be any need for that. And uh, honestly, um, that will be okay with me. Um, I'm ready for the events of uh, Tuesday uh, to come and go. Having said that, we do live in a blessed nation and a free nation, and we have the right and the privilege and the duty as citizens to vote, and that we should do. If you have not done so already, and I expect maybe a number of you have, uh, even if it means waiting in a line, uh, Tuesday you ought to exercise that right. They, they say about this election that it's the most important election ever in the history of our country. Um, I will say that that's been said before. I do think this is an important election. I guess they all are, aren't they? Because they all have an impact on, our, on the way we live our lives and on what's going on and what's going to happen for the future, for the next generations. There are always important decisions that are made by our different branches of government and all of that, and we should be, uh, we should be dutiful citizens. Now, uh, there has been a, uh, a deal that I saw on Facebook, and even though I've had uh, classes in college and seminary about uh, John Wesley, who... Uh, has much to do with um, our view of Scripture and our doctrine. Um, this was something I had not come across before, but I saw it being passed around on Facebook. And I want you to look at this quote, if you haven't seen it, from John Wesley. Now, the context that I, that I understand is that perhaps he was talking about voting in elections that was taking place within the framework of the church that he was a part of, the Anglican Church in England. But whether that's uh, the case or not, this still applies well to any election and any voting that we do. And he said this, I met those of our society, those, and by society he didn't mean society at large, he meant uh, those that uh, he associated with through the church, who had votes in the ensuing election and advised them this, to vote without fee or reward for the person they judged most worthy. In other words, you vote honestly without just what's in it for me or, or any kind of uh, position or status, you vote, you vote uh, true and worthy. And then he said to do this, and this is where we get in, where we have trouble in our nation right now. To speak no evil, evil of the person they voted against. <laughs> Boy, they pay millions, if not billions, of dollars to speak evil, don't they? Okay, but that's going on. And number three, to take care, and this affects us as we know each other, to take care of their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. So if you have friends that are not politically like-minded uh, to you, and particularly if there are any members of the body of Christ that, uh, that are not like-minded to you, and you've, you've seen that uh, or heard that, and for some of us we're going, it's not possible to be a part if you don't think like me. And we need to understand that hey, it's broad. It's broad, and we'll leave those, those decisions to God. But what a good thing to pray, to pray about who we should vote for, to pray for anyone who is elected, because we're challenged and called to do that through Scripture, and then to pray that we wouldn't have a bad attitude for people that disagree with us. 
and uh, are seemingly on the other side politically. Is that enough politics for this morning? Are you good? Let's pray, let's vote, let's do what God has called us to do. And now let's move on. We're going to spend a couple of weeks um, in the book of Revelation together. This will be the final section of Scripture that, uh, that we're going to look at in 2012. That doesn't mean it's the, the last sermon that's going to be preached, but you know we've been going through in 2012 every part of the Scripture, and we've preached several sermons from each section of Scripture that you can see on your worship folder, those nine sections that we've chosen. And we're going to look uh, today and next week in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is, for many people, a very fascinating book. Very, very interesting. For other people, it's kind of strange and very difficult to understand. And for some people, the book of Revelation and much of what it contains is downright frightening when you try to figure it all out or when you think you figured it out or somebody who thinks they figured it out tells you what they think it means and it means this and it can be scary, it can be frightening. It can be strange, it can be wonderfully fascinating. I think when we're looking at this book, it's best to remember what this book is and even as it's described in the beginnings of the book. This book is a a book that was written, really a letter that was written from the disciple John, the apostle John. And he tells us here that he wrote this when he was an elderly man. And he was exiled for preaching and for witnessing the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was exiled to an island called Patmos. And there when he was on that island near the end of the first century um, A.D., God gave him a vision a great and grand vision, and told him to write it down and to send it to seven churches that uh, sometimes your Bibles would say in Asia Minor or Asia, and it would be the section that most likely now would be kind of what we know as Turkey, uh, the country of Turkey. And the seven churches there, and it was written at a time, this was written at a time when the church of Jesus Christ, which was only a few decades old now, was under tremendous persecution. Great persecution. The Roman emperor Domitian, who was uh, by any, any description an evil man, was persecuting the church mercilessly. He was one of those emperors that, that believed, uh, not only believed, but made it and demanded it be necessary that everyone within the realm of his reign and rule and influence would verbally say, if it was demanded of them, that they would say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar meaning him, the emperor, is Lord. And if they failed to do that, then they would die. That was his wish. And that was his view of himself. And you can see what that might have done to the church. So this vision that God gave John, it's filled with all kinds of grand images that would have probably been better understood by people of that day than how we understand it. And for centuries, Christians have tried to look at this and apply it to their day and what they thought was coming when looking at those prophecies. So the people of the last 50, 60 years that have been fascinated with the book of Revelation, and and you may have read some of their books or seen their charts, and they tell you this means this, and this means that, and this is what's coming, and this applies to this country or this nation or this race of people or this and all of that, and it's going to last this long and that long, understand that that's been going on for a long time. 
you know, almost 2,000 years, people have been trying to figure that out. And that people have formed opinions and said this and that. My thoughts about, uh, about this is that the book of Revelation and any other literature like we have this in, in, the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the, the second half of the book of Daniel or some portions of Ezekiel, literature that's sometimes called apocalyptic, and the root word for rev- that we translate, translate revelation is apocalypsis, which means you know, prophecy, it means ahead. My thoughts about all of this stuff, and in particular the book of Revelation this morning, is that we need to keep the big picture in mind. The big picture in mind and not lose sight of that when we're trying to maybe figure out what the signs and symbols mean. Um, If you're looking for someone this morning to explain to you what all of the signs and symbols mean... You're not going to get it. I'm, I'm not going to lay that out for you. you. Say, Pastor Jeffrey, are you a chicken? Maybe a little bit when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, I'd probably have to confess that. I just don't have it figured out. A lot of it is a great mystery to me. And my opinion is it's meant to be a mystery. But the big picture is there. And I think the big picture is a pretty clear one. In the end, God will defeat and destroy all evil. That's the big picture. And we must live in trust and in obedience to Jesus Christ, who even now rules and reigns and will return as a conquering king. That's my summary of the big picture for you. With that in mind, I want to speak to Um, a couple of things in the book of Revelation and in particular a description of Jesus and what that can say to us. With that in mind I want you to look at Revelation and uh, I'll read just a few verses here and there. Revelation chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 here's the description. It says this letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is who always was and who is still to come. Now that is a description of the Lord that is used multiple times in the book of Revelation. Multiple times. From the one who was, from the one who is, who always was, who is still to come. Sometimes the order is changed. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. And then I want you to look down to to verse 8, where it says this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Alpha and Omega, God says He is. The Lord says, I am the Alpha and Omega. You probably know that Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. The New Testament was written in Greek. It was the business commerce language of trade of the world of that day. And so it was the the language that that was used to, 
to uh, spread things around the known world, and Alpha and Omega, the first letter and the last in the alphabet. It gives with it the idea of completeness. It would be similar to Hebrew thought. The, the, la the first and last letters in the, in the Hebrew language are Aleph and Tau. And they spoke of things in the same way. When they said something was from Aleph to Tau, it meant an idea of completeness. For us, we would say from A to Z. We might sometimes say someone knows, knows uh, something about a subject from A to Z. An idea of completeness is there. A to Z in English. And then he uses this. He reinforces this by saying, I am the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. The Lord is the beginning. The Greek word there, and I know you didn't come for a Greek lesson, but it's the word arche, which means it means more than just the first point in time. It means more than just the start time of an event. It carries with it something even deeper and stronger. It also carries with it the sense of the first in all things, meaning the source of all things. So when the scripture says, when God identifies himself and says that he is the beginning, he's not just saying that he showed up first and started something. He's saying, I am the source of all life. The source of all life. The foundation of it all. All of that. And then to think of the Lord as the end... The Lord is the end. The Greek word there, I'm going to be out of the Greek lessons here in a minute. The, the word is telos, which means more than the last moment. It, it's more than just the end when it comes across the movie screen. It's more than just the finish line at the end of the race. It's more than the final buzzer at the end of the game or the final out. It's more than just the end of an event. It means the Lord is the goal. The goal. He's the end of everything we're seeking and striving for. Our lives and their meaning have got to be headed towards Him and now focused on Him. That's what it means for the Lord to be the beginning and the end. The Alpha and Omega. You know, the, the human mind is a, is a really complex thing. God, God made it that way. Um, I, I know a pastor's son who, who did his doctoral work um, in England on the study of the brain and then how that relates to, to theology. And when he starts talking, my head just kind of just almost explodes. But the, the human brain and mind is, is a fascinating, wonderfully made thing. And some of us have seen this before. Can you put that up on the screen for me? Something I want you to read along with me. We'll just read it together. The human mind is a wonderfully complex organ, you see. It doesn't matter in what order the letters in a word appear. The only important thing is that the first and last letter are in the right place. The rest can be a total mess, and you can still read it without a problem. This is because the human mind does not read every letter by itself, but the word as a whole. Amazing, isn't it? You surprised at how well you did? 
You just went, you just went right along there. Now you better take that off before our, our brains really get scrambled. And some of you are going, see, I told you it doesn't matter if I know how to spell or not. You know, oftentimes our lives and the world around us doesn't seem to make sense. There are times when everything in our lives and, and what's going on in the world around us just seems like a total mess. But if we look at the big picture and we step back and remember that our Lord is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, we can rest on the assurance that one day everything will be perfectly clear. Everything will be seen for what it should be seen for. All that we need to understand, we'll understand. And the most important thing is that we'll see that the Lord is the beginning and the end. That He's all that matters in the history to the future. You know, there's on that, on the, maybe on your worship folder, I think I, I had it beginning dot, 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 end. What do we call those periods when they're like, is it ellip, ellipsis? You know, we, we live, we believe the Lord is the beginning and the end this morning, we seem to affirm, but the truth is we live in that in-between. We live in the dot, dot, dot. We live not in the beginning and not in the end. We're somewhere in between today. We live in the present. The present that, that's always moving. So let's, let's move ahead. And you say, Pastor, are you, are you going to skip over again like all those signs and symbols? The horsemen, the dragon, the bowls, the lampstands, all of those things. Are you going to skip over that? And the answer to that is, yes, I am. I'm going to skip. We're going to move all the way over towards the end of Revelation. If you've got a Bible or if you're looking at it on your phone, because I know if you have your phone out, that's what you're doing. You're looking at the Scripture. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Again, big picture. John in his vision says this, beginning at verse 3 of chapter 21. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people, and He will live with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one on the throne, sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. I love that. And then he said to me, Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Which I just want to stop right there. And it's so cool to me that in this grand vision of, of what things are going to be in, in eternity, when God reigns and rules and His people 
are connected completely to him in that way for eternity. I just, there's a big, just grand description of that. And I just love that right in the middle of that, God gave John these words to say, to all who are thirsty, to everybody who's still living, and you're thirsty for what life is all about, I will freely from give water from the springs of life. All of it, I mean, right here in this great grand vision, the grace of God just jumps in there. That's what it does to me. It just, I see that verse and I just go, even in the middle of this grand and glorious thing, there's the grace of God saying, anybody thirsty? Anybody in need? Anybody's life full of hurt, pain, struggle, and sorrow? Anybody broken down because of sin? And you're thirsty for God? I will freely some translations say, without price, give the water from the springs of life. That just jumps out at me. Verse 7, all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. Remember what those blessings are. No more, no more tears, no more sorrow, crying, or pain. All of those things gone forever. All who are victorious will inherit those blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, remember they were under great persecution. But cowards, the unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and this is the second death. Now I want us to jump ahead one chapter to the last chapter of the book here, uh, Revelation chapter 22 and beginning at verse 12. And in my Bible, these words are in red. It says, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And blessed are those who wash their robes. They'll be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. And outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. Listen, this big picture right here tells me this. We live in the in-between. God is the beginning and God is the end. And we live there in the in-between. But this tells me that how we live, it really does matter. It really, really matters. In the grand big picture of all that is, time, history, our lives are headed somewhere, and the revelation says that there are only two final destinations. Inside the city or outside? With God or without Him? What this big picture of an awesome God who's going to bring about an ending to this world as we know it. The description here fully is beyond our comprehension. But it is telling us this in the big picture. The way to live now, because it really does matter, the way to live now is to rely on, is to trust in the one who was 
and is and is to come. The one who was and is and is to come will have the last word. So in light of that today, I want to ask you, how are you living? How are you doing between the beginning and the end? It really does matter. The good news is, He offers freely the water from the wellsprings of, of life. The one who created it all. The one who is the source of all life. And the one who is the end goal of all life. All creation offers us the opportunity to live with Him now so that we will be the ones that inherit all those blessings in eternity. You know, one of the things that captivates me most in, in the Revelation, in John's vision of heaven, is the praise that goes on and on. The exaltation and recognition of who the Lord is. That if you read in some of that in between that I skipped over, you see it just goes on and on and on and on. And I've said this before, but I don't know what your, your vision of heaven is. You know, I mean, Matt, is your vision of heaven the most beautiful golf course you've ever seen? Maybe, maybe so, you know. We like to think about it. I just think heaven's the most beautiful lake, and I just sit out beside it, and I fish all day. That's it. Or, or heaven is where I sit around on the front porch with, all, with my grandma and grandpa, and we tell stories and all of that. Well, I hope your grandma and grandpa are in heaven. And I've, I believe we have reason to think that we'll know each other there. But the grand vision of heaven that I see in the revelation that God gave John and, and the book that he said, you better not add or take anything away from this book. Do so at your own peril. Just gives this vision of heaven as this worship. So a song like the endless hallelujah, according to this, is pretty accurate which sometimes mystifies me that, that we are reluctant as people to praise the Lord. Because when we give Him praise together, that is a rehearsal of what seems to be going on in heaven. The exaltation, the recognition of just who the Lord is. And, and John says something in his vision that, that I wish we were more caught up in. I, I believe it would help us as God's people to remember what, or rather, who the goal of life is. Continual praise and exaltation of the Lord. And with that in mind, I wanted us to close today's service with praise and recognition of who God is. And with that in mind, I was drawn this week to, to the amazing words that I'm not gifted to put together on my own. But uh, there was a great black uh, African-American pastor and preacher named S.M. Lockridge. Uh, and S.M. stands for Shadrach Meshach. That's no joke. And uh, we've played videos before of, of him preaching or praying or speaking. Just so anointed, so blessed by God with what, what he would say. 
And I was drawn to his, his words this week that came, and I don't know if he wrote them down or if, or if just through the gifting of the Holy Spirit, he just spoke it in service and they recorded it. I'm not, I'm not sure how it came about. But just the powerful description of the one who was and is and is to come. As Sim Lockridge said this, he is unparalleled and unprecedented. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He is the superlative of all excellence. He is the sum of human greatness. He is the source of divine grace. His name is the only one able to save, and his blood is the only power able to cleanse. His ear is open to the sinner's call, and his hand is quick to lift the fallen soul. He's the eternal lover of us all, everyone, and you can trust him. He supplies mercy for the struggling soul. He sustains the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes with the wounded and broken. He strengthens the weak and the weary. He guards and he guides the wanderer. He heals the sick and cleanses the leper. He delivers the captive and defends the helpless. And he binds up the brokenhearted. He's for you. And you can trust him. Jesus is the key to all knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway to glory. And yes, you can trust Him. And He said, rejoice in this, my friend. He is a sovereign King. There's no gauge to measure His limitless love. There's no barrier to block His blessings outpoured. He's enduringly strong and He's entirely supreme. He's eternally steadfast and He's immortally faithful. He's imperially powerful and He is impartially merciful. He's Jesus, the Son of God. You can trust Him. He said this, I wish I could more accurately describe Him to you, but He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't outlive Him. You can't live without Him. The Pharisees couldn't stand Him, but they found they could not stop Him. Pilate couldn't fault Him. Herod couldn't kill Him. Death couldn't conquer Him. And the grave could not hold Him. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. He's the God of the future and the God of the past, and we should rise in honor of His name and bless His name, Jesus.